Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So if you're uh, visiting with us this morning, or maybe you're newer to the Briam Bible Church, we want you to feel right at home here, of course, and you'll notice that this morning... Uh, we have the uh, communion uh, table uh, set up before us. And I know that uh, you may, maybe if you visit a church and you think, oh, how do they do this? Or what, what do I have to be a member or so forth? And we want you to know that we, we celebrate communion about six times a year at our church. Uh, we do not celebrate it as a sacrament, but we celebrate it as a means of salvation. But we celebrate it as a means of worship and remembering our Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for us, as we have just sung about. And so if you know Christ as your Savior, you are a member of the church, the body of Christ, and you are welcome to share communion with us today. Later on this service, so I'm going to share a meditation on uh, our verse for this week, and then we are going to share the bread with you, and we'll hold it, and we'll eat it together when the uh, elders come back. And then we'll have a short meditation on the cup, and we'll do the same with the cup. So I just want you to feel uh, right at home today. If you know Christ as Savior, we invite you to share with us uh, in this uh, celebration, something that the body of Christ has been doing for over 2,000 years in many different ways. We sort of have a kind of a traditional way we do it at our church, as most churches do. But I'm sure uh, you've probably celebrated around the campfire, uh, in a home, uh, in a village maybe, on a mission field, in a foreign country, it's celebrated so many different ways, but the essence of it is the same always of what we are focusing on. And so we want to do that this morning as we share the cup and the bread together, and we want to thank you for coming and sharing this service. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word for a moment, as we prepare our hearts to receive the bread that represents your body, the body of our Lord, and we receive the cup which represents our Lord's blood that was shed for us. Uh, we want to do so in a thoughtful way, as the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, to examine themselves, to give thought to this, to appreciate this privilege. And Father, as we do so, we join our hands around this uh, world with brothers and sisters in Christ who have celebrated this uh, bread and this cup today in many, many different ways. And so we uh, give these next few moments to you. Bless our children as they continue to learn about you, May you be with them and encourage them also during this time. We pray this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. You know, generally, of course, we uh, we talk about the idea of pride as not being a good thing, right? We talk about pride and we talk about the, uh, Satan's pride and his fall. Uh, proudful heart, we are told so many times in the Bible, is not a good thing to have a proudful and an arrogant heart. And I understand that. At the same time, there are things that happen in life that we are proud of. And we can maybe use the term justifiable pride. For example, your son or your daughter makes an accomplishment on the, uh, in a sporting event, in a musical event, in a spelling bee. Uh, or, or any, anything like this, uh, memorizing the church uh, scriptures and, uh, and reciting them. Uh, you are proud of uh, graduations. You are proud of accomplishments. And I think we all understand <clears throat> there's, oh, it's okay to have a non-arrogant pride that does not exalt 
each other, but exalts the Lord who gave us these abilities. Uh, this last uh, Monday night, the, hang, the guys who used to come to hang time came to play basketball uh, with uh, to, uh, Pastor Tom came because he spent a lot of time with them. We used to play with these guys all the time. They're uh, older now. They're in their mid to 30s and a little slower and uh, not quite as agile. But they came, and Justin and his family came, and they played with us. Good to have you guys with us up from Arizona. And uh, Justin and Jackson played. And uh, it got so desperate toward the end of the evening that I even went out and played a game. <laughs> and I scored a basket. You could attest to that, right? Justin was so proud of me. <laughs> he was so proud of me. After about six shots, it kept getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And uh, finally, it went in. And uh, so we were proud about that. Pride. What are you proud about today? Is there anything in your life or your family that you, you're proud about today? In a good sense, not in an arrogant sense, but in a good sense. Our verse this morning from our memory verse, and we've been uh, doing our memory verses together. You can turn the lights down a little bit uh, for me, uh, since it's kind of warm in here anyway. <clears throat> Although we have new LED lights that aren't so hot, so that's good. We're saving energy and we're not as hot. But uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Hey, let's say it together. We already said it once. Let's say it together. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. That's for, not fro, okay? <laughs> the Gentile. It's interesting there's a lot of different translations of the Bible. Some are paraphrases, some are translations. And one that's been around for a long time by an author, uh, Moffat, he translates it this way. And so he, he reverses it. Instead of saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says, I am proud of the gospel. I am proud of the gospel. And I thought that was interesting. I am proud of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I know I would be the first to admit in my life there are times where you're, you're hesitant to share the gospel. You're afraid you might be rejected. You're afraid it might be ridiculed. Maybe you're afraid to get your Bible out, you know, um, that someone might ask and make fun of you or whatever. And, and I, know that's, I know that's true. I know we all go through that at times. But I kind of like that thought, just, just for a little change. It's not an arrogance, obviously. I am proud of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel means what? In, in, briefly, what's it mean? Good news. So what do we get the word evangelism from? Evangel. I am proud of the good news. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians, you know, God forbid that I should boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom I am crucified the world and the world to me. You know, in the, in the early centuries of the Christian church, they were ridiculed. Christians were ridiculed for holding up a religious leader and founder who died on a cross. It was the most disgusting, horrendous way for anybody to die. If I had a really close relative who was executed today in the electric chair, I would not be proud of that. I mean, it, it, this was the worst. In fact, in, in the Roman world, normally the, the bodies were left on the cross. We talked about this on Good Friday, if you remember. The, the bodies were left on the cross to rot for the buzzards to eat. I mean, for days, for weeks. 
to watch this body just decompose on the cross. It was horrible. It was embarrassing. It was, it was disgusting. And if it hadn't have been for Joseph and Nicodemus to take the Lord's body off the cross, that's, they would assume would have happened to his body as well. The cross of Calvary, we, we just sang the song that, that, that has been around for a long time, the old rugged cross, how we cling to the old rugged cross. You know, in, in our churches, you know, we have a very attractive cross, and, and, and it is because it, we draw our attention to it. In the Protestant tradition, the, the Christ is not on the cross. It's empty. It's in our churches. It's on communion tables. It's in pulpits. It's all over. It's, it's on our Bibles. It's, you know, it's a reminder. I have a nice olive wood one I got in, in Bethlehem a little over a year ago. It's, it's a reminder, and, 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 and it's a beautiful thing to us. And we, we do cling to this. But when Paul wrote this, it was something of ridicule. And Paul says, no. I'm not ashamed of it. He suffered for it, right? I'm not going to tomorrow. I'm a pastor. Tomorrow morning, I'm not going to wake up and wonder where where I'm going to spend the night in jail. Who's going to arrest me? Who's going to maybe beat me for being a pastor? I would lose my job and my family and my my son-in-laws and my daughters and my son would lose their jobs because I'm a pastor. It happens around the world today, friends. It happens around the world today. It's not going to happen to me tomorrow morning. The Apostle Paul, I often wonder, when he went from city to city to city, and multiple times was whipped, 39 lashes. He was stoned and left for dead. He was hungry. He was beat. He was ridiculed. He was made fun of at the, at the, at the center of learning on Mars Hill. And they ridiculed him when he talked about the, the resurrection. And think of all that he suffered for the gospel and all the apostles. They, we think all of them, except maybe one, were martyred, were killed for their faith, the apostles. Jesus said, indeed, you, you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. You will suffer the same thing he told. They didn't understand it. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And I, and I think we could say, I'm proud of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of of God for salvation. Salvation, friends. We're talking about salvation. And it's for everyone who believes. And a wonderful thing, and, and, and Paul went out to the nations. He was sent by God from his very first calling when he was called. And, and, and Ananias, when, when, when Saul of Tarsus was converted on the road to Damascus, and he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ and said, what will you have me to do? And God prepares Ananias in Damascus and says, Saul is coming. And when he comes, uh, I want to, I'm going to show him all the things he must suffer for my namesake. I'm sending him out to the Gentile world. I'm not sending him back to Jerusalem to do the work there. He is going out to the Gentile world with the gospel of good news of Jesus Christ. Ananias says, God, you know who you're talking about? <laughs> yes, I, I know who I'm talking about. He is my trophy of grace. And Saul was sent to the Gentile world with this wonderful message of the gospel, the good news of salvation. And as we come this morning to the table and we're going to share the the bread together first, I really like our memory verse for this week. I like the emphasis on it. I like what it says. It reminds us, not only am I not ashamed of the gospel, I am proud of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation for the salvation of 
everyone who believes. And when he says first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, it's a reminder to us that we are brothers and sisters across this globe with every ethnicity, every culture. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we don't think of the world in terms of Jew and Gentile. You don't think of that way. You don't look at our community, our culture, and think of Jew and Gentile. But in, this, in the first century, when the gospel, when it first came within the, within, the, within the family of Judaism, where it started, Jesus was a Jew. He was the son of David. And it was in that context of, of Judaism and of the law and of Israel and of Palestine and, and, and as, as Saul and all the apostles that were, that were called were from the Jewish faith. And it was in that context. And so that's why we have this in the Bible, this distinction that, yes, it started here. This was its context. But it, as the word went out to the church, the body of Christ, we are all equal. There is no Jew, there is no Gentile, free or slave, male or female. We are all equal. We are all equal. The gospel is for everybody. Everybody. Your neighbor. Your co-worker. Whoever it is. Whatever their background. The person you meet this week. You might sit next to on the bus. They might be in your apartment building. You might run into them at the park. You may have no connection with them in any way. They may be a whole different culture. It doesn't matter. Ethnicity, culture, gender, male, female, it doesn't matter. The gospel is for everybody. And friends, that's our calling. And that's why Paul was not ashamed of it because he saw the gospel changing lives around the world. That Roman world that he went to was not one ethnicity. It was not Greek. It was a Greek culture, but it was a melting pot, just like Seattle is. It's a, it was a melting pot of cultures and ethnicities and races that came together in that Roman world from all over the world, from the east to the west, from the north to the south, all over the known world. And the gospel was changing lives everywhere. And as we sit here right now, friends, the gospel is changing lives. We are not ashamed. We are proud of the gospel. Why? It is good news. And I want you to celebrate this good news. Sometimes years ago, I remember my dear friend, Herb Anderson, after communion service says, why is it always so somber? Let's have some joy. So yeah, you're right. Sometimes it becomes sort of a somber tradition like we do on Good Friday. Let's have a tradition of celebration of joy this morning, huh? Amen? Amen? Let's celebrate the good news that's changed our lives and our families and that is changing the world. The good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our elders to come down this morning. These are the guys that uh, serve so faithfully in this church. They love you. They pray for you. They serve you. We gave them permission to come without a tie today. <laughs> Even Dwayne Oberg's not wearing a tie today. How do you like that? It's summer. It's warm. I'm wearing a tie. But I, I get, I, yeah. But we wanted these, they, they're going to come and, and when they serve you the bread, it's a reminder to me that they are here to serve. You see who they are. You see who these, these men are. And they are men who love you. 
And you can always go to them. You can always go to them. You can stop them in the hallway. You can call them. They're in the directory. They are here to serve because they give up a lot to serve as an elder in this church. We take it very seriously in our church, and they love you. They are here to serve you today. We are here to serve our risen Lord, and it is truly a privilege. We are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the good news of salvation for all who believe all over this world, all over our community, all over our city. It's the good news of salvation. We're going to serve the bread to you first. And I'll just ask if you just hold it and let's use this time to just joyfully give God thanks. Give God thanks that he loves you, that he loves you. And he cares deeply about everything. If it's important to you, it's important to God. That's how much he loves you. We'll share the bread with you and hold it. And then we will eat it together. Our Lord Jesus Christ celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples. It was after dinner, he he took the bread and and he broke it. He gave it to each of the disciples and he reminded them. They didn't fully understand it. They did later. That that bread represented his body, which would be broken for them. Not a bone of his body was broken, but his body was given for them. And this little piece of bread that you're going to eat is just a reminder, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, I was told by God, Corinthians, to tell you this, to remind you. The night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body which was given for you. And you should do this in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's eat the bread together in remembrance of his body that was sacrificed for you and for me. Our Heavenly Father was just uh, a few months ago, we celebrated Christmas together. We celebrated the day that God became flesh, took on humanity. He did not just inhabit a body. He became flesh. He grew to be a man without sin and offered himself as a sacrifice for sins. We are not ashamed of that good news. It is the gospel of salvation for everyone who believes, including us. We thank you and we love you. Amen. Before we share the cup together, I would like us to also focus on the second verse that goes with our memory verse today. And that is Romans chapter 1, verse 17 that we read earlier. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 4, the righteous will live by faith. If you've learned that verse before, you may have learned the just shall live by faith. You'll notice that the word righteous and just are intermingled. They are used as similar words. 
the righteous will live by faith. The gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? What is the righteousness of God? Is it an attribute? A character trait? Is he talking about more something that's been given to us? What exactly is the righteousness of God? What is, what is in the English? What in the English, what is the root word for righteousness? What is the word that you know right away? It's the word what? Right. And you know, it's, it's a wonderful truth. And I fall back on this often. You know, as a pastor, you get asked, you get asked a lot of questions, right? You can assume that. You get asked questions too when someone knows you're a believer. Well, how about, how could you believe in a loving God that allows this to happen in the world? It becomes more personal. Personal. Why did God allow this to happen to me and my family? Why would God do this? Why wouldn't God do this or that? And you know, sometimes it gets to the simple point where I have to say, God is good, and God is righteous. And everything he does, everything he permits, I have to leave it in his goodness and righteousness. The Bible says, do not say ever that God tempts to sin. God is not the tempter author of sin. But he is right in everything he does. Aren't you glad? Would you rather have a God that gets fickle, and changes his mind. Sorry, I told you you were saved, but I changed my mind. I, I don't really mean that. Sorry, you didn't do what you're supposed to, so I'm sorry. No, God is right. God is true. And God is just. For in the gospel that Paul was not ashamed of, this rightness of God is revealed. It's unfolded. It's a righteousness that what? Is by works, by coming to church, by being the best you can, by doing all the things you could do. What must I do to be saved? The man asked Jesus. What must I do to be saved? No. It is a righteousness that Paul writes here. He, he sort of, he sort of adjusts this, this passage from Habakkuk and, 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 and makes it very, very strong. From first to last, it is by faith, from faith to faith, in the Greek literally, from faith to faith, just as it is written, what? The righteous, us, will live by faith and faith alone. These several commentators, good, solid, evangelical commentators I respect, uh, Douglas Moo, for one, very fine scholar, makes the point, these two verses... This is the heart and soul and theme of Romans. The book of Romans. Some of you were in BSF and you studied Romans. BSF is starting again this fall. They'll be here. This is the heart and soul of Romans. Everything in Romans can fold back into this. The gospel of salvation for everyone. It's the righteousness of God. And it's given simply through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, not by what you do or don't do, but by receiving Christ's payment for your sin. And as we come to the to the cup this morning, as we come to the to the cup, 
I want you to look at one more verse with me. If you have your Bible or your tablet or phone, you could do this. You could look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, sometimes, you know, it's, we don't, uh, I don't sit up here anymore. We used to, we used to always sit up here, right? For, with pastors would come up, we'd file up here and we'd sit across here for the whole service. We quit doing that. We sit down here now. And, but I, when I was up here this morning, I haven't been up here for a long time, just sit in here and, and get a chance to look at you without talking, right? <laughs> okay. And, and to see all your faces. Uh, it's beautiful. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful you're here today. You could be anywhere today, especially on this beautiful day, but you've chosen to come because you love God and you've come to worship. And I want you to know it's an encouragement to the person next to you that you're here today. People around you. I want you, you know, I want you just to think for a minute. It's good for us to come and just sometimes contemplate some deep truth. I'm not going to tell you anything complicated, but I would like you to, to look at this verse and just think about it for a minute. It's Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. This is after Paul has said, we implore you, we beg you, be reconciled to God. Why not? Why not? Why wouldn't you receive his forgiveness for sins? And he says this. Now think about, just think about the the depth of this verse this morning as we come to receive the cup together. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an exchange. We learned this, I learned this, I think in King James, God made him who knew no sin. And that's, it's a Hebraism. It's a Hebrew thought from the Old Testament that he had no personal experience with sin. This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. What was different after they disobeyed God? He gave them a choice. They had a conscience. He gave them a choice, but they experienced sin. They knew it by personal experience. That's our human condition. You know sin from your personal experience. You don't know sin just academically or in your head. You know it because you've experienced it and you experience it. Christ was righteous, holy. He had no personal experience experience with sin but he became how's that possible do you believe he was really fully god do you believe in the doctrine of the deity of christ that he really was god how is it possible that he could become sin it happened when he went to the cross of calvary because when we went to the cross of Calvary, the old rugged cross, in those three hours of darkness where nobody could look upon him, and when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the, and the prophet Isaiah tells us in the 53rd chapter, it pleased God to strike him. It pleased God to crush him because God poured all of his 
righteous justice out on sin. You have a sense of righteousness and justice. Your sense of righteousness is kindled. When someone creates a heinous crime against a child, isn't your, isn't your sense of righteousness kindled? But that's not right. That's not just. And you expect the judge to be right and just in the decisions they make. He poured out his righteousness against sin on Christ and he became the sin sacrifice. But look at the exchange. He who never experienced sin so that in him, come on now. I'm just asking you to think about this. I'm not going to ask you to figure anything out. I'm just asking you to think about this as we take the cup together. You and I might not receive, might become, that's what the word in the Greek is, become the righteousness of God. What an exchange. How much does God love us? What an exchange that he who had never experienced sin became sin for me, that I might, me, nobody knows better than me how ridiculous this is, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Just want you to think about it. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward. And with joy, we're going to share this little teeny cup of grace juice. It's not much to drink. It's just a reminder. A reminder that God has offered us to become the righteousness of God in Christ. You don't deserve it, and you know you don't deserve it. But he gave it to us because he chose to love us. Dwayne wanted to just share just a word. Uh, Why don't you use the mic there, Dwayne? Gary's got the microphone. Pastor asked us what we're proud of. I'm, I'm proud of so many things, but I'm proud of my family. It was just a year ago on Sunday morning that Elisa left us. Mm-hmm. I was proud of her family, of her husband Rick, the rest of our family. But I'm proud to stand here and say that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the Bible tells us that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And I'm proud to be called according to his purpose. I'm proud to be able to serve you as an elder. I'm proud to be able to serve in the nursing homes. But most of all, I'm proud that Christ died for me. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody said?
Amen. Thank you so much, Dwayne, for sharing your heart. And let's share together this little cup of juice. And let's just give God thanks. Come on, let me see a smile on your face. Let's give God thanks for how much He has chosen to love us. Enable us to share testimonies like that, even the most challenging experiences in life, to still be able to say, He is our Father, we love Him, and we trust Him. This cup, the Lord said, is my blood given for you. Whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together and hold the cup for a moment of quiet prayer. Father, the Apostle Paul told us that we do this to show forth the Lord's death until he returns. When we receive communion, it's to remember his death. But we do so on the first day of the week because every week we gather to remember his resurrection. It's the first day of a new week, day one. We are going to walk with you this week. We're going to rejoice in your love and grace and mercy. And Lord, our lives should be acts of love and grace and mercy to everyone, everyone, this week as we represent you. We pray this again in our wonderful Savior's name who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. I always enjoyed communion service and growing up in this church as a kid. The reason I really enjoyed it because it was the one Sunday a month Pastor Peterson let us out on time. Communion <laughs> Sunday. Five minutes, sorry, didn't do it. But we're glad you've come today. Now listen, after we leave here, we're just going to right away, if you'd like to stay, uh, we're going to have a short meeting. This is not a congregational meeting. You have to be a member if you care about this ministry. And if you, you, you should have received a letter in the mail this week. If you feel like you got the information you need, that's fine too. If you'd like to come forward and just, we'll just sit over here like we do on Sunday night. And, uh, well, you can sit on both sides, but come toward the front. Don't sit in back, please. Come toward the front. And we're just going to go over where we're at in our remodel project, where the God has led us, what our needs are, what the plans are. If you have any questions or comments, we want you to feel free to ask them. And, uh, but you're not, you know, don't feel obligated to stay. If you want to leave, it's, no one's going to look down. If you feel like you have all the information you need, that's fine too. Okay? Everybody good? Yeah. Right? So if you'd like to stay, come on down. Susie's going to bring the kids down. And uh, if you can't stay and you still have more questions, call us at any time. We are here to serve you. God bless you. And come again next Sunday at 10 a.m. We'll be here. And I hope you'll be here too. Amen.